You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to episode 115 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am a person who got a new phone yeah. that's not as good as my old phone, but it's kind of <laughs> subjective. David Lyons. <laughs> you got a Nexus 5. How do you feel about it? I got a Nexus 5X. Oh, you're right. Nexus 5 is an older <laughs> phone. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, I guess it was the last, no, two ago, because there was the gigantic Moto X 6 that everyone hated that tanked because <laughs> it was like the size of a laptop. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, I had a 6P, which I was and am still deeply in love with. Like it is a truly fantastic phone. It's just too big. That is my <laughs> my one and only complaint. Like the battery, you know, could always be better. The 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 metal back is a little slick, so you, you have to kind of deal with that. But it it's just <laughs> too damn big and that that was the deal breaker for me so the 5x is not just it's not like the the 6 and the 6 plus or the 6s and the 6s plus it's actually a a closer to mid-range phone and that it you know that's a build thing so it, it's plastic instead of metal so it won't just completely deform and shatter <laughs> if you drop it <laughs> Which, yeah i mean there there is a little bit of a win there um it feels so much lighter that it's almost a little jarring. Like, not only is it physically smaller, but it's made of lighter materials. So when I first picked it up out of the box, I was like, is this thing hollow? Like, is this one of those Chinese scams where it's just going to be full of Tic Tacs or something? Well, that's one thing I miss about smaller phones is, like, the last time I picked up, like, a 5S, I was just like, holy shit, this is light. And, like, almost, like, you almost, like, fling your arm to the ceiling accidentally when you lift it up. And, like, especially because the, the newer iPhones, the, the bigger ones, they're so slippery and they're rounded edges. And I'm just, like, there's all these reasons why it's way more droppable. So you got to throw a case on it. And then it's even heavier. <laughs> And it's like, ah, but I enjoyed the, the week leading up to you ordering the 5X. There was kind of this brief flirtation, like, do I get an iPhone SE? And uh, there was like this almost montage of like, what would happen? Like, oh, I'd have to deal with iOS, but I'd get to write a switcher <laughs> blog. But oh, man, there's this and that. And then never mind. Go to just stay on Android. <laughs> yeah. It, so I absolutely did toy with the idea. And and part of the reason I toyed with the idea is because I'm sort of, I switched phones kind of in the middle of a cycle. So part of my reasoning was like, well, if I switch to the iPhone and I kind of hate it, like I could change again in like six months. And part of the reason for that is because that, that sounds like the most elitist, like I can just buy phones all over the place. <laughs> like I, I have some, some like gift card money that I can't really do anything else with except these few like narrow tasks. And because I like to update my phone often, I've kind of set that money aside for stupid things like this, which is why I was able to buy the 6P, which was an expensive phone. And then so soon after switch to the 5X, which I am still trying to sell the 6P. I'd rather not just let that money like burn to death. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm happy with it. Uh, the size is 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 infinitely better. The six P was just too big. I mean, I, I use that phone a lot every single day. I was not adjusting. It, yeah. it was just too big for my well, hands. I, I even feel that way about the non plus iPhone. Like, and I mean, granted, the bezels are bigger than most Android phones, but um, the the main like victim of the size is uh pinkies supporting the bottom of the phone <laughs> when you're so, typing i actually had already always held my phone that way and the thing is uh i've heard people say that where they're like oh now i gotta like i'm afraid it's gonna slip out of my hand because it's so big and so i like tuck my pinky under the bottom and i realized that that is where i noticed the weight difference because like the the phone being heavy in my pocket like i don't really care about that it's not that heavy it's not like i have a 20 pound dumbbell like shoved into my pocket but when you have your little tiny pinky finger like up underneath this phone you kind of notice the weight like you legit notice that like it's pressing down on your hand but i'm i'm happy with it i will say in in all fairness the 5x does have a little bit weaker guts and it's noticeable it's not like, oh, no, you're just... No, I mean, like, literally, if you do two things side by side... Well, especially because you're coming down from the 6. Exactly. The 6X or whatever. 6P. 6P whatever <laughs> consonant they added. <laughs> um, but it's it's not so much slower that I feel like it's unacceptable. It's just like, yeah, okay, there are definitely weaker guts in this. It's I feel it's, it's a little bit like going from a, from, like, a Mac Pro or a MacBook Pro to, like, the Air... Like when, yeah. with the screen difference, like once you sit in front of the air for like a week or two, you're like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's not as high res. But when they're side by side, you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> wiped Vaseline but, over this one. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, I don't often hold both of the phones in front of me and do the same task at the same time. <laughs> so it hasn't really been a problem. All right, let's get into the show. So the first thing I wanted to talk about this week, and since I was the the topic master for once, (laughs) um, uh, I wanted to talk about the Rogue One trailer. Um, So spoilers, if you're trying to avoid everything about this movie, we're going to talk about it for, you know, five minutes or so. But um, this trailer came out, and uh, it's... I guess first thing, the trailer itself was kind of edited a little differently than most Star Wars trailers, I guess, which granted, it's other than The Force Awakens, there haven't been Star Wars trailers for over 10 years, but... Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's, just, it's heavy, though. It's kind of dark. Yeah. yeah, it's heavy and dark, but it's like cut more, like less less saga long, glorious shots and more <laughs> music video cut, like, like fast and... Um, but, oh, you know, yeah, I didn't really think about that, but it's not a lot of sweeping vistas and and giant ships flying through space. It's mostly like up close with individuals or small groups of characters. Yeah. Um and so, you know, we get a look at the our new heroine, which uh, you know, is already pissing off the internet like another girl gets to be a hero. I'm gonna be a jerk now. Um But, you know, you can already tell this is a different kind of story. It's 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 by all accounts a, a heist story. They're they're stealing the Death Star plans. There's there's some, you know, gray characters that are gonna be employed. Um, you know, the the immediate characterization is like, You've broken all these laws, you've done all these bad things and she's like, Yeah, I'm a rebel. <laughs> Why'd you have to make it about race? Why do they have to be gray? <laughs> uh, I was just thinking of Liam Neeson movies. Um, but, you know, my hope for this movie, I thought the trailer looked pretty great. I mean, other than 
being cut so differently, but that's okay. This is not meant to be a, a Star Wars saga story, and I actually... I hope this is a chance for a lot of more interesting movies in the Star Wars universe that aren't beholden to Joseph Campbell hero's tale. <laughs> like, we can do Ocean's Eleven in Star Wars. We can do other kinds of stories. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on, and, and I'm not nearly as sensitive to the monomyth as, as I feel like you are, which I'm thankful for since it's the one story Hollywood knows how to tell <laughs> effectively. Um, but it's... I, I like Ocean's Eleven. I like uh, like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Like those kinds of where there isn't really a lot of growth. Nobody really changes. <laughs> like you just sort of see interesting characters do interesting things, and then that's their involvement in a larger story, right? Well, I, I love the heist movie as a genre, like as an alternative, because it's like, look at this crazy puzzle. How is this gonna work out? And like the the best ones are so good at telling that yarn of just like, you know, whether they make it really in front of you, here's what we're going to do montage. Um, <laughs> and then the inevitable something goes wrong and they have to improvise. But like all that stuff is just so much fun. And so I just like that this story doesn't have the weight of the entire, I mean, yeah, Death Star plans, but it like the scope isn't isn't burdened by like everyone's destiny all at once must <laughs> tie together. Who's your brother? Who, who has force powers? But well, I kind of got the impression that it's, it's about the death star plans and, and the, you know, I mean, it's, it's a prequel. It is literally a prequel to episode four or an interquel because of in, the interquel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cause there's some overlap. Well, um, episode th- between three and four. I know oh, people don't want to acknowledge was it, the was there trilogy. Was there three episodes before the fourth episode? <laughs> I, I did not realize that. It turns that. out there was. <laughs> and the, the actress who played Mon Mothma in episode three, who was cut from the movie, has been brought back to be in this. Oh, was that the, the like little leader woman, the tall, yeah, she's kind of in white? Redhead and the, yeah. Yeah, the beigey garb. Yeah, yeah. The, the 70s inspired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. Billowing clothing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I liked everything I saw, particularly, uh, Donnie Yen <laughs> because <laughs> I actually didn't notice him the first time through. Cause I, I don't, I don't know. I'm maybe giving up some, some geek cred, but when I watch a trailer, I typically don't scrutinize it that much. And then what happens is I don't realize I'm actually standing with my toes on the edge of the cliff. And somebody will point out one little thing to me, and I'm like, "Now I have to watch it frame by frame," because like <laughs> it's just it's it's the it's the the like first hit of an addictive drug where it's like, "Wait, if I miss that, what else did I miss?" <laughs> so it's like I won't I won't take drugs myself, but if I'm you know at a party and somebody's like, "Oh, hey, does anybody want it?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah, thank you," and then it I just have a spiraling depression from there on out. So. <laughs> So once it was pointed out to me that he was in it, I had to go back and and watch it. And he only's he's only in the trailer for you know two seconds, but um, you know he is a a, a professional uh, uh, like you know Hong Kong fui kind of kung fu uh, martial artist. I mean he's I don't actually remember how he got his start, but I mean he's a legit martial artist, and he made his. Uh, his name in movies much like Jackie Chan or, or, or Bruce Lee or, uh, or Chuck Norris. Um, and he's really good. Like he's, he's really, really yeah. good. And seeing him swing around interesting sci-fi weapons 
is promising to me. Like I would probably go watch this just for that. Yeah. I mean, is, is Ipman still on Netflix? I know it was a while back. Uh, I think one and two, and you told me there's a third one. Well, I just saw it on the <laughs> Google search results page for Donnie Yen. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure one and two are still on Netflix, which are, I mean, highly recommended, even if you're not big into Kung Fu movies, they're just, they're, they're good movies and they yeah. have really good Kung Fu. Um, but I will say, uh, as you you mentioned about people freaking out over like, oh, another woman leading the, oh my God. <laughs> uh, someone, the, the day the trailer was released, I, I don't know who, it was a series of retweets, uh, but someone said, oh my God, two movies in a row with a female lead? What's next? Six movies in a row with a male lead? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, hey. Hey, do you guys get it? Because your argument is stupid. Because you're dumb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's. Uh, how how is this a thing? We don't we don't have to get all political, but how is this a thing people are upset about? I don't know. Like, do they feel like Disney's like? I don't know. I I don't, I don't even want to like give yeah, credit because it's just crap. I'm um, just I'm I'm happy. Keep more you know more racial diversity, more gender diversity, more. It it always improves things. Yeah. So don't listen to the haters, production companies. I will say uh, on the topic of diversity, the trailer didn't seem to have much like alien representation. There's a couple like marketplace shots, but like it's pretty human through this trailer, and I kind of want to see more weird aliens too. But maybe they're just hiding them from us for the. Uh, I always kind of got the impression that the Empire is sort of racist. Well, the Empire the- definitely. Right, and so most of what you see is the rebels who are known to be mostly human, and them interacting with the empire. I think the novels actually explicitly make that point that the empire was very elitist and very racist, speciesist, whatever. Yeah. Label. Well, I mean, you know, space Hitler. Yeah, space Nazis. <laughs> it goes. Um, it goes with the whole thing. Um. The other thing I wanted to, to point out was that the, we get to see some at-ats on a beach uh, splashing in the water while a bunch of people are running towards them like in a suicide run <laughs> um, towards <laughs> the end of the trailer. And um, I guess, it's a, you know, we've already seen them in the snow most famously and also uh, in, in the jungles of Endor, the forest of Endor, I guess would be a better term. Um, and so I guess, you know, it's what other, what other climates are left. Um, <laughs> let's do some beach. But it is a unique climate. that, And I guess it's, this is part of Yavin 4, I, I think, is everyone's guess, is there's some kind of ground battle. But it could be some other location. Um, but n- neat to see a new setting. And also, like, this is the first time we're really seeing traditional original trilogy at-ats with not stop motion so they get to fully animate them with modern computers which means they can splash and make dirt fly and like because you know if you go back and watch like the empire strikes back it's impressive because you know it's your childhood and blah 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 it was amazing what they did with those stop motions but it's like you can tell these are like kind of designed in an era where they couldn't really do anything else (laughs) and yeah i mean to see them those kind of practical effects, miniatures, I think is the term, isn't it? Um, I mean, they have very real limitations. And if you know to look for those kinds of things, it's kind of a, a can't unsee <laughs> sort of thing where you're like, oh, every time it steps down, there's like the earth isn't disturbed in any way because yeah. it would be painful to slowly animate that if possible at all. And 
I don't know. Uh, maybe the next thing they'll do is they'll like bring him to a city, and we'll get to see him do all like monster destruction, like <laughs> yeah. crushing little land speeders and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that's why they weren't on a beach previously because, well, you know, those feet planting in the snow wouldn't displace as much as they would in a beach or on water. And like maybe they wanted to. There's like, oh man, it's really going to expose how our tech isn't there yet. Um, so it's fun to see them in new settings. Well, I mean, this is something that is is good. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, set design, maybe, or, or, or location choice for those scenes where, like, it would never have occurred to me until you said something like, oh, I'll bet they chose snow because it helped hide some of the limitations of the stop motion. Like, I, I never, ever in a million years would have been like, that's why Hoth <laughs> exists, so that they could do that. But there probably were some practical effects people who were like, please, please don't have us make them walk in water. It will look terrible. I think it's also like, since A New Hope featured Tatooine so prominently, just the desertiest of deserts, it's like, what's like the complete opposite climate? How about the coldest thing ever? That's true. <laughs> no one will see that coming. And and uh, the last thing I have to say about the trailer is the the death stare at the end. <laughs> I mean, if you have other things, that's fine. I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no. there is a uh, uh, you know the little YouTube style hover boxes, so you can like click to other uh, videos that are, are about the Star Wars universe. And uh, there's this interview with Mark Hamill, and he's just death staring into the camera like this super <laughs> intense stare and uh whoever the 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 young woman who's interviewing him Kathleen um, Kennedy okay <laughs> who where would i know her from she's the like the executive at the top of Lucasfilm running it for Disney so i wouldn't know her from there <laughs> cuz i know nothing about studio executives <laughs> Um, but she, she keeps turning to look at him as if he's going to like politely nod and engage her. <laughs> and you don't see in this little clip that he later makes a joke about how he's like, Oh, I have dialogue. Like I'm supposed to be participating. Ha ha. And then the interview <laughs> happens, but they don't show that in this little like <laughs> click here to go watch this other video clip. So it just looks like he's insane and she has to pretend she doesn't notice he's insane. And it's kind of a delightful end to the trailer because it's like super serious dark trailer and then like Mark Hamill staring into your soul. I have to say he's been kind of a delightful web presence lately because he was on he was like i got a spoiler to announce about you know episode eight you know tomorrow if i get enough retweets or something and then you know of course his tweet later was like well it's set in the distant past <laughs> it's in a galaxy far far away and i have more screen time than in episode seven and everyone's like great you said nothing <laughs> But he's just got to be when he gets to do stuff like that. He's just like, oh my god, these nerds are gonna let me <laughs> just get an easy layup because they can't help themselves. <laughs> like even though he, you know, thanks to the internet, we've seen all the the funny like autographs and things that he did in the seventies and eighties when when Star Wars was new. You know that that kind of thing would not have been common knowledge in the seventies and eighties. But now 
anyone who knows about Star Wars has probably seen those scans <laughs> and screenshots. So it's like, come on, you know he likes to screw with fans. Are you really going to let this happen? Yes, because you can't risk it. So you can check out the link to this trailer in our show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 115. Uh, we were so sad when we were making the show doc that we couldn't squeeze it into the follow-up this time. It's the first time in like a month of episodes. Yeah. Uh, so we can move on. We got some tech topics today. And our, our first one is that uh, I just was bitching the other day because of Microsoft's famously bad updater, but it just bit me again because for my work, I can't, like, I never use Office for anything. I use Outlook sometimes because my work email is in Outlook and I like the client app. It's all right. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't use Office, but I have to keep it installed because every, you know, once in a blue moon, someone's like, here's a Word doc. And I don't want to <laughs> translate that into Google Docs or Pages because it breaks most I can't. Things. I can't speak for Pages. Google Docs in the last six months, I think, has gotten a lot better. Like, more and more, I'm able to rely on Google Docs. So I'm with you that I have to have Office installed, but I keep pushing the that boundary. <laughs> Well, and it's just not worth it to be like, this is just someone else's doc and I just need to see it. Usually I'll just, like if it's a script for a video, I'll just copy the text and paste and match style into a new Google Doc and be like, this is it. <laughs> Done. Close enough. Uh, I don't need to use their translator. But um, the annoying thing is when you update, so first off, the updater always needs an update. So before you can even update your apps, they're like, you know, this thing that should be pretty stable and shouldn't have to do anything except grab apps from a server. <laughs> Always needs updates. Like, are there security vulnerabilities constantly in this Microsoft updater? Like, why is it changed so often? Uh, but then you get past that, and then you get to the actual apps. And, like, you know, my experience with most updates, what even Mac App Store updates, it's like, oh, they're pretty quick, and they kind of just happen in the background, and you don't think about them. Um, and then Microsoft's like, no, I want you to quit all your stuff, and I want to <laughs> sit here, and I'm going to ask for your password at least once, if not more. And... How about, you know, 1.6 gigabytes? How about that? How about you just download that right now? And I just find this appalling in this day and age. And I don't understand why the downloads are so large unless you're downloading full binaries every time. Like, do they not have Delta updates? So I, in an attempt uh, to have some solidarity with you, I was like, I have an open office because I don't even have to use Outlook for email, right? I, I use Gmail for personal stuff and for work. Uh, so... Lucky bastard. I'm incredibly fortunate. <laughs> I'm very thankful for my situation. Uh, but, you know, I can go literally weeks without opening Excel or Word or PowerPoint or anything. PowerPoint's actually probably the one I open the most. Um, but, you know, those those updates can start to build up. And uh, I'll open – I opened the updater. The updater needed to be updated, which, again, <laughs> annoying. And – what I found even more annoying is that the updater, and I, I'm not a Mac developer, there might be a legit reason for this, but it installs like a package install, not like a cool, slick, like one-click Mac install. So you have to do the next, next, next thing. And I'm like, Jesus, Microsoft, did you really have to port <laughs> the 20-click installer to Mac OS N? Like, uh, so I go through that, and then I only had three or four, Four updates. I think the your complaining screenshot you had for like everything. Yeah. Um, and everything had like five or six hundred megs that it needed. So mine only needed a paltry like three hundred <laughs> megs each. So those 
aren't large enough to be full binaries, but they seem way, way too big for like, we patched a bug. Yeah. So what, what are they doing? Like how much more powerful is the office suite than I, and this is me giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like how much more feature rich and powerful must this software be that it's so, so huge. And they're all huge. Excel, huge PowerPoint, huge (laughs) word, huge outlook, huge. They're all freaking gigantic applications. And they even on my SSD life, like they they don't load fast. Certainly no. not as fast as a browser tab for Google Docs. And I just like I don't want to see icons bounce more than once or splash <laughs> art screens. Like Adobe apps are bad enough for that. It's like oh, Illustrator, look at this cool artwork for ten minutes before I finally open. <laughs> but at least when I'm working on an Illustrator file, it's like oh, this is like a hundred, two hundred megabyte art file I'm opening. So I get I cut it some slack like it's got to like go through this crap. But you know when you're just trying to open a 24 kilobyte word document and it takes like 30 <laughs> seconds and you just want to see what it is, it's it's irritating. So I'm thinking cuz I think for most people word is the most common one, right? You you're sharing documents yeah. in your office or maybe you uh you have like a home computer with a kid that's writing, you know, papers for school or whatever, but like word probably edges out uh, PowerPoint and Excel is the most frequently used by a, an average person. Um, so it can do uh, like bibliographies and and dynamic tables of contents and and macros that I don't know why you're programming yeah. your Word document, but like you can. So I would love to see uh, maybe a move to have that stuff load like on demand. Like, don't load the macro running engine until I say I would like to start writing a new macro or running an existing one. Like, don't even turn that crap on. And, like, the table of contents and the bibliography, like, who writes a bibliography? Nobody. Not even (laughs) academics. Ever. So (laughs) just don't even load whatever code is required to make that function until I press the bibliography button. Or... Maybe open Word and and the part that renders the document and then quietly keep loading functionality while the document's open. But just, I don't, it's not, <laughs> displaying text on a screen is just not that weighty of a task. It's yeah. just, it's just not. Well, that's just the impression. I don't even hate Word or, or PowerPoint. Um, I do kind of hate how Excel tries to commandeer CSVs so hard, but um, I don't have to use Excel. I don't think most people deal with CSVs. So for for me and you, anyone who's ever had to do that, yes, that is a nightmare. (laughs) But, you know, I don't even hate PowerPoint. I hate how people use PowerPoint, but I don't hate that app. I don't hate Word. I just hate everything outside surrounding it, the updater, the installation, the, like, does Microsoft not see how that impacts how users feel about their platform? Maybe, I mean, maybe they've measured the user response and no one cares and I'm just the one like complaining person, but I just, it makes me dread launching those apps. I don't like, I don't turn to them if I'm going to create something, even if they're perfectly fine at what they're intended to do. Yeah. I'm, I would never, ever reach for, Excel or Word to do their tasks. I would always go to Google Docs or Google Sheets. 
I do sometimes still go to PowerPoint to create a new slide deck. I, this is one of those spaces that I have not quite nailed down. I want to just use uh, Google Slides for everything, but sometimes I'm like, this would be a little bit easier in PowerPoint, or I'm going to an event or a conference where they gave me a like a, a what do you yeah. call it? Like a, and it's going to mess the fonts up if you import it. And yeah, even though I can't think of the word, you know what I mean. But like, yeah, it's going to break the whole thing, and I don't want to recreate it. Yeah. And then, and sometimes every once in a while, I'll reach for Keynote. Like, actually, uh, the best reason I had to use Keynote recently was I knew because I saw the room I was going to be presenting in that I was going to not be allowed to be anywhere near my computer. <laughs> like, it was going to be on the other side of the room. So I used my iPad to as like a presenter tool. Yeah. So, so that was neat. Well, and by all accounts, Keynote is maybe the best of the slide deck apps if you really, really care about making your slides. But I'm never doing anything other than full bleed images or like text, <laughs> large, very few words text. So any of them work. Um, yeah. th- there are like my colleagues complain about how Google Slides doesn't let you um, disable slides that you don't want to delete but you want to keep in your presentation, like say you yeah. give an online versus a face-to-face version and you need different slides. Um, little things like that, but it's not a big deal. Yeah, if you are the the only person who owns that deck, then it's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but I've actually run into that exact thing where I have uh, some of my colleagues uh, will have a deck with 150 slides in it, but in any given presentation, they use like 15 of them and they just yeah. keep turning on and off and reorganizing, which is fine. I think that's what that feature is for. I think they're actually using it exactly as it's intended to be used. But because I've never been and I'm still not in a position to rely on that kind of functionality, I'm like, eh, yeah. I'll just remove slides if I don't want people to see them. Well, I do have to say um, the more I become a designer and get into uh, learning Illustrator, um, I'm going to be building my slide decks in Illustrator just because <laughs> artboards do it all. And if I need to port it to one of the slide shower apps, I just export pings and then I'm done. But Yeah, and then just every slide is literally one full plate image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, even Photoshop has artboards now, so you could technically build your presentation in Photoshop. Is there anything you can't do in Photoshop? <laughs> Probably not. You can make videos in Photoshop, which is crazy. Um, I'm sure that loads quickly and is a great experience. Um, I do the one thing about uh, using a slideshow app of some kind as opposed to a stand-in. Um, and I think the most common stand-in is probably PDFs, actually. Yeah. Somebody's just like, yeah, each slide is one page, and I just page through the PDF. Uh, there's no speaker's notes. And depending on who you talk to, some people are like, no, this should be like a TED talk. You should have the whole thing memorized. It should be like you're reading, you know, a script in a play. I don't really like that. I'm a big fan of extemporaneous speaking. And I like to have notes to keep me on track or to make sure I make specific points or sometimes specific jokes. But I don't like to fly completely solo, um, only in rare cases. So I... Unless I started doing like a paper notes thing, it's like, oh, I have my little flip folio thing, and then my slides are a totally separate thing. But then, like, they can get out of sync. Now my notes are not in the same order, and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah. 
when I make like storyboards for videos, I actually like slide deck apps because I can have animation description visually and then in the speaker's notes I can put the the script line that's being spoken and also describe how things are moving and that's a really convenient format for that too. Well and so do you feel like now that you are uh a super professional, amazing, talented animator. Uh, do you think you're going to start using more motion and animation in your slides, or do you think they'll still just be beautiful, full-bleed images with one word? Well, I'm tempted to create animated GIFs for like specific things sometimes, probably just for <laughs> jokes. But but every good presentation is mostly jokes. <laughs> it should be. Almost every presentation should be just jokes. So do you feel like... Uh, the Google Suite or the even the the Office Online apps, do you have those available to you? I don't think I do. I don't. I've not even checked. I'm pretty sure I do because I think the CU system has Office 365. So have you ever thought about just bailing on Office and being like, nope, I'm just going to use all the online stuff so that I never have to deal with this again? Well, the only times I need to use this stuff, Google totally covers what I need to do. So <laughs> I just use Google stuff. So then, yes, I would say definitely just go ahead and uninstall it all. <laughs> Bye. Uh, they're not hurting me just sitting there. Well, apparently we just spent like 15 minutes explaining how they are. They're hurting our listeners because they have to hear us <laughs> complain about it. So, so listeners, right. you could send your complaints to support at Microsoft.com. <laughs> so we can move on. Um, this was an interesting rumor, which, you know, even though it's a rumor, we don't usually try to spend a lot of time on these. I think it's an interesting enough one to open the can of worms of programming languages. And the rumor is that Google might adopt Swift for Android, um, if not for other reasons, too. And, uh, you know, Google currently uses Java. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Ish. <laughs> they use. Uh, uh, OK, I'm going to see if I can get this right. Java is the language, but the compiler is the open JDK. It's not Oracle's official compiler. Um, so that's where they're trying to distance themselves from Oracle so that they don't get sued. But the language is still Java. Yeah. Um, I think the reason this would be interesting or exciting is, so, you know, all of Apple's platforms are moving to Swift gradually. Um there are server applications that are starting to be written in Swift, and I don't know how widespread or how significant that is, but um, Swift was kind of conceived as a language that uh, could be used to write an OS or could be used for a lightweight script or a, a web server kind of thing and kind of span that range. And, uh, you know, people much smarter and more experienced than me can speak to whether <laughs> it's, it's successfully pursuing that and would be good for that. Um, but, you know, the... Apple has been enthusiastically open sourcing it and not in their traditional way of like, we're going to dump a bunch of crap um, <laughs> onto our website and not even like take pull requests. Like it's actually a functioning open source project in spirit and not just by the letter. And, uh, you know, there's some interesting things going on, which again, someone should weigh in on that knows more. But <laughs> as far as I know, Swift isn't just like, syntactic sugar it's not just like a sexy modern easy to read language but they're they're doing stuff with compiler innovation to you know at compile time it does things that makes your code more efficient um and 
just in general, I think there's a lot of buzz around Swift, and just you know, as a developer, be you know, imagine that your your server developers and your Android app developers and your iOS app developers would all be learning and knowing the same language. If you were invested in this language, you could switch and work on a different platform with less friction. Of course, the API calls and the platform-specific stuff is all going to be different, so it's not like you can just compile your iOS app for Android. Like You're <laughs> going to have to rewrite stuff, but um, it's less friction and, and more coherency to the the population of developers. And so I think that's some of the benefits. I don't know. What did you make of this rumor? Do you think they should do something like this? So the developer of uh, Pocket Cast, my favorite um, podcatcher, uh, is, it's on Android and on iOS, and they have a web app. So uh, the whole company is, is, is two guys. Um, I, th- I think it's literally just two developers. Uh, so they both have to kind of wear all the hats and he's pretty active on Twitter, and he's pretty responsive. So when I first saw this rumor, I was like, I'm going to ask him what he thinks and see if he, <laughs> he responds, because he is a an indie developer who would benefit very much from not having to have two completely different paradigms in his head, two completely different sets of syntax. And, and a really skilled developer will always say, like, syntax is not what's hard. It's these yeah. other things. But if it's one less thing to worry about, that. That's not nothing. Like, it's one less thing to worry about. Um, well, and there's got to be, like, certain algorithms that are internal to your app that don't rely on API calls that you could wholesale port over. Like, well, this calculates oh, yeah. this and does this, and now all three places can use this. Absolutely. And you could always abstract some stuff away, and you know that people would, if there if there was one language for both platforms, people would write um, intermediary layers where it's like, you as the developer just say, I want a button here. And then on somewhere in the abstraction, it looks for either the iOS APIs or the Android APIs. And that kind of stuff happens, right? It's the the dream of the Java, the you know, the <laughs> right, right ones. ones run everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I reached out to him and, and I actually linked to the, the Twitter conversation because uh, before I could even reach out to him about it, he uh, tweeted that he thinks this is total bunk. Like, he does not see a world in which Google would actually do this. Um, and so I said, well, what do you, what would you like to see? If not this, what what would you like to see? And and a, some a couple other people weighed in on the conversation. And basically what he boiled it down to was, I would like to see Android move to a nicer language I don't think Swift is that great and it's definitely not great enough to have to go through all the trouble of an operating system level rewrite and it's definitely not as open as something truly open would be so they would kind of be trading in their troubles with Oracle for different troubles with uh, Apple, right? Because even though Apple has completely open sourced this, they are still the stewards, Right. Um, and I mean, I, those are all his opinions. I have no idea how, how yeah. accurate those are, but I thought it was very interesting that someone who develops on iOS full time, like that is his main job was not immediately like, yes, I get just one language. He was just like, no, it's not really that big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, it's a sample size of one. Um, but I, I just said like, oh, well, what, what kind of language would you like to see? And he was like, I don't know not swift 
<laughs> I was just, just kind of like, oh, this is not going at all the way I imagined it would. <laughs> yeah. So again, sample size of one. Um, but he he did agree. Objective C is a catastrophe. Like nobody <laughs> likes that. Um, he also agreed with my assertion that something like this. Uh, some kind of unification between mobile platforms would be incredibly attractive to new developers, um, not because it would make their lives so much easier, but because Swift is a far more modern language uh, in terms of just that syntactic sugar, and that's way more approachable. Like, there's a reason that I learned Java in college and then as soon as I finished that class, you know, drank heavily to forget. <laughs> and then when I decided to become a hobbyist, I started with Ruby because I wanted to accomplish tasks. I did not want to learn syntax. Yeah. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind is even if Google decided to do this, we, you know, that would be a process that will take years because libraries and APIs need to be rewritten and apps aren't going to day one suddenly be in Swift. Um, even Apple is still on a long process of, of moving. Um, I think I, I read an article that the only shipping app from Apple that comes with like iOS that is written in Swift so far is calculator.app. I was hoping so, you were going to say the Swift documentation app. <laughs> <laughs> so even Apple, even um, they, they are on a long journey of embracing their own language. And so none of this would matter tomorrow if Google made a big announcement. Um, but I do think, you know, maybe Google is just looking around like, man, we got to get off this Oracle crap. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they. I feel like Google has to do something. I I don't think they can maintain the awkward legal, like no man's land that they've been. <laughs> you know, uh, what do you call it? The walking on the knife's edge all this time, uh, because every once in a while, Oracle will like catch their breath and come back for another round, and then like the whole thing blows up again, and. I I don't know exactly how that would play out if Oracle ever unequivocally won a legal battle. Like, I really doubt a judge would just be like, well, turn off everybody's phones. Yeah. Or or worse, be like, Google, pay Oracle for every device running Android. And, like, that's been, like, a historical annoying thing about, you know, Google's trying to make this open source platform, but it gets encumbered when these companies come and use software patents to be like, hey... We're going to tax you for well, your the, open platform. There has long been a true but unbelievable joke that Microsoft makes more from Android phones than they do from Windows phone because they <laughs> got to be true. Yeah, they get a little piece of it because of some software patent. So I, I think something has to happen. Um, and not knowing enough about the the underlying architecture, I, what I do know is. Uh, memory concerns and processor concerns are far more real on a mobile device than they are even on a, a laptop, um, but certainly not on a desktop where it has full-time power and full-time network and it can get as hot as yeah. it pleases, right? Um, so, like, they can't make Ruby a first-class language. Like, that language is cartoonishly inefficient for well, that I, kind of thing. And I, again, I'm out of my depth, so someone can correct anything I get wrong. But that's <laughs> long been one of the arguments for why Objective-C was superior for mobile devices, even if you hate 
the other aspects of that language. Um, it forces you to manage your memory. Um, and so you end up with, it's, it's sort of, you know, a rough, you know, broad stroke to paint is like, it's kind of lower level language. So you're going to be more efficient. You can be more, you can get more out of hardware versus a higher language, higher level language. that's easier to program, but inefficiencies are there because it's higher level. Yeah. And I mean, anyone who knows Java well knows that it's closer to a lower level language. So it, uh, it does compile and it does have a very efficient, um, the JVM, I guess it's called the Java virtual machine. It, it does have a very efficient, uh, engine that it runs on once it's compiled and, but it doesn't. It's it's not low enough that it forces you to take memory things into concern because that's not what it was originally designed for. But it's also not high level enough. Like Python or Ruby might be where you're just like, oh yeah, I could just bang out an app in an afternoon. Like <laughs> unless you know Java, you don't really want to get to know it because everyone around you is like, yeah, it kind of sucks. And most people's <laughs> exposure, you know, that's if you're even around other developers. If you just Google strangers' opinions on Java, you're going to get vitriol and bile like you can't believe. And then your personal experiences, if you're looking to get into development with, uh, you know, on a mobile device, with Java are like stupid applets that are always trying to update and, and, yeah. and security vulnerabilities and stuff. Like, you're like, why does Java need to update? I just updated yesterday. Like, what is this? The Microsoft updater? Like, it's... It's not uh, good, right? The the average person, I don't think, has any opinion about Java. And if they do, it's probably not favorable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that I can say much more about this topic <laughs> just because I'm not a developer. But I do, like, from the sidelines, kind of enjoy watching these kinds of rumors. And, uh, you know... I, I moonlight as a dabbler, like, someday I'm going to learn to program apps. And no, no, I've got too many things I'm interested in, and I can't be good at everything, so let go. Yeah, and you're really good at the other things you're really good at. So um, I don't think I'm ever going to be an artist. So if you come over to the, the back end side and, like, totally kick my ass as a developer, I, I'm just going to – I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. My contributions will be totally gone. Well, thankfully, that'll never happen. And I, I don't even <laughs> think I could end up being that good of a developer. I, d I don't think my brain works quite right <laughs> to get great at that stuff. So with one language between you know Mac and, and you carry an iPhone and you have your iPad Pro that you love, uh, could you ever imagine writing an app like even just for yourself, like not something you put on the App Store, but something just for, for Mike to use? Uh it's a nice dream. I, I mean, it sounds like fun, but I don't really... Every time I sit down to learn Swift, I'm like, there's nothing that I want to make that I need that someone <laughs> else wouldn't make better and probably already has made. Um, the only thing is I could think like on OS ten, maybe scripting some things that'll automate some something I do that's uniquely weird to my workflow that wouldn't exist. Um, but even there, it's like... I've got so many things I'm trying to learn and get good at. I just don't have time to try to do everything. That's fair. I do, even though I'm trying to become a more proficient developer, I still opt for, has someone else already done this better? So, <laughs> and I mean, I think that's the right way to operate is is code reuse, right? If If somebody else has already built a tool that does 95% of what I'm trying to do, then like, it's, is it really worth that 
Probably not. No. <laughs> so far, it has not been ever. <laughs> uh, the the, the, the uh, the biggest thing I've ever made is I made a tic-tac-toe app for Swift, and I only ever ran it in an iOS simulator, and, you know, the, there was no real GUI. It was, like, very, very basic. <laughs> you know, I, with all the exercises and things I've ever done in, in little coding school websites and boot camp websites and those kinds of things, I don't think I've ever made, like, a game. It's always, <laughs> like... Uh, oh no! I take it back. I did in JavaScript. Have to, I? I built Blackjack. Blackjack. Yep. Yeah. Blackjack. Yeah. <laughs> That's a game. Um, well, the fun <laughs> I know thing with it's a game you ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing. I was just confirming you're you're naming a real thing. <laughs> well, um, thank you. <laughs> Well, the fun thing with tic-tac-toe for a beginner developer is the, the AI, which is really strong language for what you're writing as a beginner. <laughs> um, the strategies are very easy to like formulate. They're not very good. And I know like tic-tac-toe is a broken game that is always a tie unless the player lets you win or something. Um, but, you know, the, the AI can basically be pick a random spot unless they're about to win, then block them. And that's like a reasonably fun like first level computer opponent and so it's just kind of like one of those like almost like a puzzle game level programming challenges where um it's fun to do the other thing is that, you know i always since i have a math background i had a lot of fun with project euler doing all their like what's the 27th prime I mean you know here's a whole bunch of strings and you know what's the 157th character and like those oh, are all really satisfying challenges yeah, yeah not having a math background i bailed on that <laughs> so hard especially because some of the i i think those those problem sets are very old um, and in some modern languages, it's like, find the 20th prime. And it's like, that used to take, you know, maybe a page of, of custom developed functions. And now it's like math it's dot prime, prime bracket 20. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, this is well, not accomplishing like, the same goal, is it? Well, I was using that, you know, to learn Ruby and yeah, there's some math libraries that solve that instantaneously, very efficiently, but um, I think the point of that challenge is not call library, you're done. It's like, oh, practice the algorithm that finds primes. And like, if you just try to do the most basic modular arithmetic to determine if all of its denominators, or not denominators, all of its factors are prime or not, um, you know, that's a famous problem of like, even on modern machines with a very efficient language, it will take an eternity um, <laughs> to to check every single factor to see if it's prime or not. And so you have to learn the math of like, oh, there's. it turns out there's some clever mathematics that will let you skip way over half of the possible factors. There's a, a joke in the developer community when you go for a job interview they make you do like huge algorithmic complicated nonsense up on a whiteboard where you don't have access to documents or, or any of your other resources yeah, pseudocode yeah and, and it's super complicated and, and and it has to work even though you don't have any way to test it and it's totally unlike how you would write real code and then the first day on the job is this button is the wrong shade of blue <laughs> it's like why did you ask me to solve like Fermat's <laughs> last theorem when this is what my day-to-day -day life was going to be like? Yeah. All right, so so no uh no Swift on Android for you, but maybe one day for me. <laughs> 
That's even assuming you would like Swift. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I don't honestly know. I have played with it zero, but I have seen it, and I have seen Java, and I have seen Objective-C, and just syntactically, Swift is way less of a nightmare, especially coming from a Ruby background. I think coming from a Ruby background, the syntax would be delicious. It's just whether the the other features would be fun or not. Um, the memory specifically stuff. Um, nonetheless, See, that's what I like about servers is the hardware is big enough and it's always plugged in that that stuff. It, it's not that it's not a concern. It's just that the phone won't burn a hole through somebody's thigh. If you write yeah. an, an inefficient line of code. All right, let's call it. Um, thank you for listening to episode 115 of flipping tables. Uh, me and Lions love feedback, and we're both on Twitter, so you can send us tweets and tell us we're wrong, especially about this developer stuff that I'm out of my depth in and am reporting tons of hearsay from other people who may be just opinionated bastards. Um, <laughs> send those tweets to us. I'm at pseudo-Michael, S-U-D-O-Michael, and Lions, you are? At Lions in beta. And uh, while you're looking at our show notes on our website, uh, which, again, you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flippingtables slash 115, uh, you might as well subscribe to our show. And we actually have a new feature on our website, which is the uh, all shows feed. So not just flipping tables, but if you like our other shows or want to check out our other shows, we have a show about music. We have a book club podcast. Uh, we have a creativity in the arts. We have likely story. Um, a lot of great shows. Um, you can subscribe to our all shows feed, and that way... Every single episode of every Sunrise Robot podcast just gets combined into the single feed. It's a really convenient way to stay up on our podcast. And you can find that just at, uh, in the header of our website. There's a, a new uh, menu for all shows feed, and it'll take you to iTunes. Or if you just have some other podcatcher, you can grab the direct RSS link. So do that, and that way, uh, no matter what podcast software you like to use, you can get our episodes. So I'd like to use Overcast.fm on iOS. I know Lions use Pocket Casts on Android. There's lots of great apps uh, for listening to podcasts. If you'd like to support us directly here at Sunrise Robot, we have a Patreon campaign. So if you go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot, uh, you can pledge dollars to our network, which helps us keep the lights on, keeps the tape rolling, helps us design new shows, which we do have some things in the work we're taking our sweet old time on. But we hope to have some cool new stuff to share very soon. So head to the Patreon, and uh, depending on the level you pledge, you'll get your name mentioned at the end of every Flipping Tables episode or even every episode of any Sunrise Robot show. And so with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Memory Managed Cunningham, Cliff Lyons, Carolyn Kraut, Ido Abramovich, and Justin Edwards. We love you all so much. All right, we'll see you next week. See you next week.